Hey, welcome to Gospel Community Sermon Podcast. Thanks for listening in. We hope that uh, you enjoy what you hear and that we handle the word faithfully. We'd invite you, if you have any questions or want to attend a service, to visit www.gcctroy.com. You ever hear the, the phrase YOLO? You only live once, right? I got to be honest, the first time I ever heard that phrase was before it was someone's trying to promote a 5K that they were going to, to host, right? So it was a YOLO run. And I thought in the back of my mind, I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, if I only live once and life is short, why would I spend a morning running when something wasn't chasing me, right? We, we talk about YOLO all the time. It's kind of this phrase. You only live once, right? You're thinking about that, that vacation to Europe. YOLO. You're considering renting a Ferrari when you get there. YOLO. You're considering whether or not you should have that third piece of cheesecake. And you say YOLO, right? You only live once. But this morning we recognize that the Christian has a unique vantage point, don't they? Yes, we only live one life, but that life is met with the promise of resurrection. That is, our life holds the promise of eternity. Jesus promises this time and time again throughout the book of John, as we'll see partially this morning, but he's constantly talking about the eternal life that he's come to give to us. And as we turn to John chapter 11, we're going to see that Jesus is a resurrection to be believed in. He's a resurrection for us to bank our hopes upon. As we walk through this passage in John chapter 11, we're going to see this in three different phases, as it were. In in verses 1 through 16, we're going to see that Jesus hears of Lazarus' sickness, and he opts to stay where he is. And then in verses 17 through 37, uh, Jesus visits Mary and Martha in their respective needs. And then in verses 38 through 44, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. This morning, we, we... hear the authority of the words, but we want them to sink into our hearts. I I imagine if we kind of tested everyone this morning, we talked about what does Easter actually mean, we'd all be able to kind of talk vaguely about Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But the point this morning is not for us just to be able to spit out facts about Jesus' resurrection, but to actually believe in Jesus' resurrection. Well, pull out the difference here this morning. Let's start in John chapter, or John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16, where Jesus hears of Lazarus' sickness and opts to stay put. Just a little bit of background from John chapter 10, uh, where we closed out in the last chapter in John 10. Uh, Jesus made this statement. He said, I and the Father are one. And he watched as, as uh, men and women around the crowd started to bend down and pick up rocks. He could see the blood rush out of their hands as they grabbed onto those rocks. They were ready to stone him to death. Jesus somehow worked his way through the crowd and escaped without harm. But the disciples remember that moment, so they carry that into John chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Mary, Martha, Mary and Martha, and, or Mary or excuse me, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
So when he had heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verses 1 through 3 tell us the situation. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, is sick. And the sisters kind of send a message uh, live via camel, right? Lord, he whom you love is ill. And Jesus had already healed illness in John chapter 4 and John chapter 9. So the implication is clear. Jesus, if you come, you can heal our brother and our brother will stay alive. Now, Jesus does something really strange in verses 5 and 6. It's a strange statement, isn't it? Jesus loved Mary and Martha so that he didn't come to them. Rather, he stays where he is an additional two days. And Jesus gives his reasoning in verse 4. He says, the illness does not lead to death in verse 4. It's important for us to know that Jesus isn't just kind of misdiagnosing the seriousness of this illness. He isn't just blowing off Mary and Martha's concern. Instead, look at the rest of verse 4. He has a purpose in this. He says, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. See, Jesus has a larger purpose. It's by Lazarus's sickness that Jesus wants to receive glory. That is, Jesus is going to highlight something that only he can accomplish. He's going to do something. And by highlighting this purpose, Jesus is not being arrogant or selfish. Instead, he is glorifying himself, his ability to raise the dead for our good, even here this morning, and for the good of Mary and Martha and even Lazarus. So what happens is like anytime you lead a group there's these the kind of naysayers that rise up, and so the disciples have concerns in verses 7 through 16. Look at verse 7 with me. Um, excuse me. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews are just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is no longer in him. After these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but, if I, go, but I go to awaken him. And the disciples said, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. See, Jesus gets up in verse 7 and he decides that he's finally going to see uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And naturally, the disciples have these objections. In verse 8, they remind Jesus that the people of Judea don't really like him. That the last time they were there, they tried to kill him. And in verse 12, they take issue with Jesus' statement that Lazarus has fallen asleep. Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he's going to recover. There are certain passages in the Scripture that just kind of highlight uh, the, the density of the disciples. This is one of those, right? They're not following with what Jesus is saying. And all of this is kind of summarized in verse 16. Let us also go with him, that we may die with him. See, Thomas seems to summarize the disciples' perspective They all seem highly skeptical about going back to the place where everyone wanted to kill them. 
And regardless, swirling around these early verses in our chapter here this morning, there is the theme of death. Mary and Martha send to Jesus, and they're saying, Jesus, your, your loved one, your, your friend is about to die. And the disciples, they're saying, no, we don't want to go there because we also might die with them. Nobody in the story is saying, YOLO. Nobody in the story is saying, you only live once. A a YOLO mentality means that Jesus stays put, that he doesn't put himself at risk. A YOLO uh, mentality might also mean if he loves Lazarus in such a way that he gets on the first camel out of whatever it is where they are. See, we're reminded this morning here that God controls death for his purpose. Do you believe this? That God is the author of death. If we look through the scriptures, we we start with the garden, that, that God promises Adam that if they eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely what? They would die. And it was when Adam ate of the tree of the garden that God told him in Genesis chapter 3, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That came from God himself. Even now, the New Testament holds out that the wages of our sin is death. See, death is God's creation. Satan didn't create death. God did. And he did so as a punishment for our sin and our rebellion against him. Death doesn't exist independent of God. It doesn't possess its own will. Rather, death exists in complete submission to the God who made it and who uses it for his purpose. See, sometimes we think of of death and God in these like opposite corners, like prize fighters, right? And we're going to ring the bell and death and God are going to duke it out. Until finally, Jesus kind of wins at, at Easter. He kind of beats death, and, and that's what happens. But truthfully, if we're thinking scripturally, we're thinking about a God who initiated death for his purpose. See, God isn't, or death isn't God's enemy, but it is man's. See, God doesn't see death as enemy. God created death, but we see death as enemy. And it's a very strong enemy, isn't it? There's not a single person in this room that if we live long enough, we'll eventually face our death. There's no human being who hasn't faced death. We all will face it at some point. But Jesus has yet to show us how he will be glorified in this particular death. He's he's made this statement, this death exists, this situation exists so that I might be glorified. Well, he wants to bring that to fruition. And in verses 17 through 37, he's going to show us that he's going to visit Mary and Martha in their respective needs. It's worth noting that John gives 20 verses to highlight Jesus' presence with hurting people. So look with me at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. And Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that what you ask from God, God will give. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. 
See, what happens is Martha goes out. She leaves the mourning. Uh, she leaves the kind of community of those mourning her brother. And she goes out and meets Jesus in verses 17 through 20. And in verses 21 through 24, she kind of states her theology to Jesus. And uh, we kind of can, can summarize these things in three points. Premise number one is that Jesus could heal sickness. In verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just interestingly to note, it's the exact same phrase that Mary is going to use later on in our passage this morning. It would seem that they were saying this to one another throughout the course of this hardship about Lazarus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus can heal sickness. Premise number two, Jesus is on good terms with the Father. Look at verse 22. Even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. See, Martha trusts that God has, or Jesus has a right relationship with the Father. And so she says, Jesus, if you ask, I'm sure that the Father will listen. I'm sure that the Father will hear you if you ask for my brother to be raised from the dead. So first, Jesus can heal sickness. Second, Jesus is on good terms with the Father. And third, saints would be resurrected on the last day. This theology comes out in verse 24. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, we take all of this into consideration. We say, that's pretty good theology, right? If Martha's there. She's taking a membership interview with one of our elders. I think she passes. Verse 22 and verse 24 really highlight that Mary's, or Martha's highlighting what she knows. What's interesting to note is Jesus wants to push into what she believes. Jesus wants to orient her around this issue of belief. In fact, in verses 25 and 26, Jesus uses the word believe or belief three times in that passage. See, the only critique we might have for Martha is that Jesus is only peripheral to her hope. She's essentially asking Jesus to put in a good word with the man upstairs. She believes Jesus can heal sick people, but raising the dead, that's work for the Father. But Jesus instructs Martha, isn't it good to know that our Savior steps into us, steps in with us in the hard moments? That he's with us in our suffering and he's there to guide us. And what he does is he speaks directly to the issues that, that Martha needs to know. He describes himself in verse 25 as resurrection and life. We want to break down how this works. There's a diagram for us here on the PowerPoint in front of us this morning that when we see that Jesus is resurrection and life, it actually plays into the subsequent phrases. He's resurrection so that whoever believes in him, though he die, yet shall he live. He's life so that everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. We recognize that when Jesus makes this claim, he's not just saying, oh yeah, I can raise your brother from the dead. I can do that. No, he's making a larger claim about who he is, that Jesus has life bound up in himself, that Jesus is the author of life, that he was there in the creative act of God when when God formed man from the dust of the ground and blew breath into him, Jesus was present and active, that Jesus is present and active, breathing life into this dead man in our passage in John chapter 11, and he was present and active when he was raised from the dead. He will be present and active when he raises his own from around the globe throughout history to newness of life. Jesus is resurrection and life. 
And this is exactly what Martha needed to hear in this moment. Now, what a changing of gears that happens in verse 28. If, if Jesus has a theology lesson for Martha, what does he have in store for Mary? Look at verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was greatly, deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said to him, Lord, or excuse me, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? See, Mary also comes out to meet Jesus in verses 28 through 31. And she's there with the crowd, with the community. As she stands, others stand with her and they follow her out to find Jesus. And Mary also states her theology. She bows and she says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice how Jesus responds. While Martha needed a loving addendum to her theology, Mary needed a present Savior. And Jesus responds to Mary with emotion. Verse 33 tells us that Jesus was deeply moved and he was greatly troubled. The words here mean like it's like the flaring of nostrils. Like you ever see that with a basketball coach? My, my father-in-law was a basketball coach and there's a vein that pops out of his head and the narrow nostrils start to flare, right? That, that's the word that's, that's describing that. Jesus is, is angered. He's actually moved to distress by the, the, death, the death and the mourning that he sees. He's so uh, opposite of this issue of death, he, he's moved by it. And finally, in verse 35, he weeps. See, Mary gets the full range of empathy and compassion from our Savior. See, what we see here this morning is, is not just that death is the enemy that's presented to us by God, that God rules over death, it's that Jesus is resurrection and life. Notice that Jesus describes himself as both resurrection and life. He isn't simply capable of resurrecting. Jesus has described himself as life throughout John. John 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In chapter 3, verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. In chapter 5, verses 24 through 26, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. In John 6, 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. In John 10, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And if we look forward to John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the what? The life. 
See, God isn't just one who brings us death because of our sin. He sends us Christ as resurrection and life. If death was our enemy, Jesus presents himself as our ally. See, Jesus and the resurrection stand opposite of that enemy death. I love what John Stott has to say when he's reflecting on this passage. He says, what then should be the Christian's attitude to death? It is still an enemy, unnatural, unpleasant, and undignified, yet it is a defeated enemy. Because Christ has taken away our sins, death has lost its power to harm and therefore to terrify. Jesus summed it up in one of his greatest affirmations, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. See? Puts a new spin on YOLO, doesn't it? You only live once, but that life is eternal in Christ. The enemy of sin, the enemy of death is is defeated at Jesus' cross and in his resurrection so that you and I can truly embrace YOLO. But claims are only claims till they're proven. Isn't that right? I could stand in front of you and tell you about something I could do. I could say, I can throw a 105-mile-an-hour fastball. You shouldn't believe that statement, just right out there, right? But until I actually throw a 105-mile-an-hour fastball, I haven't pl- proven anything. See, Jesus has yet to take his hypothesis into the lab. Naturally, Jesus intends to back up his claim of being resurrection and life. But how will he do so? Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. See, Jesus calls for the removal of this stone. And Martha raises an objection. See, we saw before that Jesus was challenging her belief, and we see why she, she... Can she trust that that Jesus is going to be the resurrection that he promised to be? In verses 41 through 42, he he prays to the Father. Notice what Jesus prays. First, he's confident that the Father hears him. Jesus is making sure, he's making sure that others know that, that God the Father hears him, that he has a direct relationship with the Father and that the Father hears his prayers. But secondly, Jesus restates his purpose. He says, I said this on account of the people standing around that, you, that they may believe that you sent me. It should sound familiar to us this morning. It's what Jesus told his disciples in verse 15. It's what Jesus told Martha in verses 25 and 26, that the purpose of Lazarus' death and resurrection was belief. So with that, we, we enter back into verse 43. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. 
See, Jesus, the Lord of life, resurrection and life, calls the dead man out. And it's worth noting this morning that he has to particularize who he's speaking to. Because if Jesus hadn't said, Lazarus, come out, we think that he, all of the dead people throughout the entirety of the earth would rise. See, he's bound with linen strips, face still in the burial cloth, and Lazarus, who had stayed in the grave for four days, who had started to decompose, is now standing in front of them fully alive. See, the truth this morning is that Jesus raises dead men to life, doesn't he? Jesus raises dead men to life. We have an enemy in death, but Jesus is the antidote to death, the resurrection and the life, and he raises dead men to eternal life. See, what this passage presents to us this morning is two concepts that seem to be intention. It presents to us a transcendent Jesus, a Jesus who's worthy of glory, who raises the dead, But it also presents to us an imminent Jesus who's close to his people, who suffers and cries with those whom he loves. Let's start with Jesus' imminence. Jesus engages death as an imminent Savior. By imminent, I mean close, right? If you're like me and you don't like those 25-cent words, uh, you need just the kind of grassroots definition. It just means that he's here. He's with us. He's present. Jesus isn't somehow removed from his people. He's not aloof. He's not this far-off deity removed from our everyday trials and troubles. Jesus here weeps with Mary. Jesus here uh, regards and loves Lazarus. to ask the question this morning, how would this story in John chapter 11 be different if Jesus healed from a distance? If you go back a few chapters to John chapter 4, Jesus heals an official son from a distance. He like airmails it somehow. We don't even know how that works, right? But from a distance, he heals the son. What would happen if Lazarus, he heard heard that Lazarus was sick and he just kind of healed him from afar and Lazarus just kind of got better? We would miss out on this deep love that Jesus has for his friends. See, part of this story is that Jesus is close to his own. When his friends weep, he weeps. The author of Hebrews tells us this. It tells us that that Jesus had to suffer so that he might be a sympathetic high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. See, Jesus doesn't look at our suffering and think, I wonder what that feels like. He has faced our temptation. He has suffered our difficulties. He's even died our death, and yet he has remained sinless. He sees your pain, your difficulty, and he's present with you. But we recognize this morning, if Jesus was just imminent, if he was just close and nearby and he wasn't transcendent, it wouldn't do Lazarus any good. If if Jesus wasn't able to actually be resurrection and life like he promises in this passage, I don't know that this story would be recorded for us. I don't know that it would be remarkable. See, Jesus engages death as a transcendent 
Christ. And by transcendent, I mean that Jesus is above our typical human experience, that in some way he's actually um, not contingent upon the the world that he's created. He, He makes claims in this passage about being resurrection and life, about receiving glory, such that he literally raises a dead man to life, such that he pursues his own glory, such that he sees exactly what both Mary and Martha need. See, it's in this combination, this this Christ, imminent and transcendent, that we find a resurrection possible. If Christ is just imminent and he's removed from the hurt and heartache of, of our world, no resurrection takes place. If Christ is just imminent, he's just here and just um, empathetic toward us and has no power to save, Lazarus never gets raised. Most notably this morning, what we look at in John chapter 11 is a precursor to John chapter 21. See, Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus was only a, a foreshadowing of what would actually happen in Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. Lazarus would once again die physically, right? Jesus is raising Lazarus to this life, but eventually uh, Lazarus would die again, wouldn't he? Lazarus would face death one more time. He would live another so many years, and then he would die again. But the true miracle was that Jesus himself would come to life again. He would be crucified on a hill outside of Jerusalem by some of the very men who wanted to stone him in chapter 10. He would be put to death because of the rebellion and sin in our hearts. He would be put to death because of our sinfulness, those who believe in Jesus. On that first Good Friday outside Jerusalem, the Son of God, only true, the only true innocent to ever walk on the earth, would die a sinner's death. He would be buried in a tomb nearby where his body would stay until Sunday morning. But then, in a glorious cooperation of Father and Son and Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ would be raised to life. His finger would twitch. His heart would start beating. The... Uh, synapses in his brain would start firing and Jesus would come alive again. He would prove that he is true resurrection and life so that we wouldn't see him as this huckster who's taking advantage of the weak-minded. Jesus is true resurrection and life. He was victorious over all death, including his own, so that now he holds out the promise of eternal life to any who will come to him in faith. Let me ask you this morning, not just do you know it, do you believe this? This is a hard thing to believe, isn't it? We've all gone to a funeral. And every time we go to a funeral, we have no expectation that someone in the casket will stand up. This is something that seems like it's from the the storybooks. It's, it's a myth, a, a fairy tale, as it were. And yet Jesus calls us to a belief that goes beyond just knowing. It goes into trusting and loving. See, what we believe about the resurrection affects how we live our present life. You ever thought about that? What we believe about Jesus' resurrection affects how we live this afternoon and how we go to work tomorrow and and how we raise our kids and how we spend our money. 
See, the New Testament is constantly telling us of the effects of Jesus' resurrection in the life of the believer. It's, it's by the resurrection that we can share in Jesus' sufferings, according to Philippians chapter 2. It's by the resurrection that we count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ through Romans chapter 6. It's by the resurrection that we keep seeking the things above in Colossians chapter 3. It's by the resurrection that we have assurance that we are seated in the heavenly places in Ephesians chapter 2. It's by the resurrection that we have confidence that this life isn't all there is, that there is a true resurrection, according to 1 Corinthians 15. See, this resurrection is not just the Christian's future hope. It's our present reality to be lived in, to be pressed into. It moves us to live hope-filled lives centered around a resurrected Jesus Christ. So perhaps you're here today You're thinking, that doesn't affect me and my circumstance. Maybe you're here and you're skeptical. You're thinking, this doesn't make any sense to me. I don't know if I believe this. Well, the truth is this morning that Jesus told us that this resurrection should lead to belief. That the purpose of this story included in the scriptures is meant and designed for us to come to rich belief in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you're kind of a a nominal Christian. You've gone to church all your life, but if you were honest, you don't really think much about God or Jesus through the week. Maybe you're here and you're a struggling believer. You're you're struggling with the claims of faith. You're struggling uh, to live out the claims of faith. Maybe you're here and you're, you're heartbroken. You suffer greatly under a set of circumstances that you have no control over. The truth this morning is, resurrection is intended to bring belief. Jesus himself was raised from the dead. And if you're skeptical or unbelieving this morning, you have to give an account for the echo of Jesus' empty tomb. If you're here this morning and you have faith in Christ, you recognize that this resurrection that Jesus talks about, how he is resurrection in life, is not just a historical statement. It's a present reality for you. It means different things for how you live and how you act. I heard a story this last week. Uh, Jim Carrey, the famous actor, uh, was on a beach in Hawaii, and I, I don't know if you heard about this, in 2018 there was uh, a number of people that received a text about a North Korean uh, nuclear missile that was coming for Hawaii. And so he and a number of others uh, thought that they had 10 minutes to live. They received a text message on their phones, and so um, you know, he's there, he's talking with his assistant on this beach and is trying to decide how they're going to do these 10 minutes. He's uh, calling his daughter, who was somewhere else on the island, trying to figure out if they can make connection in 10 minutes' time, and he said, I don't want to die in a car, and this whole interaction that happens. But finally, he just resigned himself to sit quietly on the beach, and he decided that he, he had had a good life and that he would just simply sit and, and wait. And it sounds kind of moral, doesn't it? It sounds like, like Jim Carrey kind of had this moment, right? He, he had lived a good life, and he's going to just sit and just wait for, for whatever happens. As noble as it as, as was for Carrey to kind of embrace the goodness of his life, we recognize this morning that Christianity holds out more. 
It promises us that death is but a fleeting moment. Because we are promised resurrection, either to eternal reward or to torment, that final moment of this life doesn't spell the end of the story one way or the other. For those of us who are in Christ, we have the hope of resurrection because we have hope in Jesus, the resurrection and the life. Amen? I hope that we this morning might be those who embrace that in its fullness. I hope that we might be those people that that wrap our arms around what it is to be resurrected and raised to new life in Christ. That we don't fear death, that we see death as just a fleeting moment, a passing from one thing to the other. That we embrace the fullness of life because we know we have eternity in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this in your name. We ask that you would impress the truth of your son's resurrection on our hearts, that you would give us hope in our resurrection. Lord, even now, you you call us to take the future tense reality of our resurrection with Christ and bring it into our present day settings. That we would say no to sin. That we would embrace the suffering that your son has faced. There's countless things that you call us to in your scriptures. So help us to be people of the resurrection. Help us to be people who love the gospel that you have given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.